Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Hello, hello, and welcome to All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. My name is Seth Rotelny. Joining me is Goals Women's Soccer Correspondent, Amy Ruskai. Amy, welcome. How are you doing today? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Not bad, not bad. A little tired recovering from the uh, 3.30 a.m. wake-up call. Also joining us today, former U.S. goalkeeper. Welcome back to the show, Hope Solo. Thanks for having me, Seth and Amy. Thank you for being here. Today, we are going to review the U.S.'s final group stage game, a 0-0 draw with Australia. There wasn't really a whole lot to talk about, so we will talk about that game a little bit, and then we will move on to a bit of a review of the group stage as a whole, talk about what went right for the U.S., talk about what went wrong, and then a look ahead, because the U.S. now has a very interesting-looking quarterfinal matchup against the Netherlands. Let's dive into it. The U.S. ties Australia 0-0, a game that didn't really offer a ton to the neutrals, partially because both teams were perfectly okay, it seemed, with a draw. But there certainly is a question of whether it makes sense for this U.S. team to ever be content with a draw, no matter what the circumstances were. Hope, were you a bit surprised with with how the U.S. set up, or or do you think the way they played today made some sense? I know that there's a a strategic element to it, right? But for me, I mean, I got basically kicked off the team when I called Sweden cowards for playing a defensive game. I don't believe it's part of the Olympic spirit. We want to see teams, the best team in the world, going out, attacking, being creative, playing through the midfield, scoring goals and upping the score. You know, two, three, four goals. We have some of the most spectacular midfielders and goal-scoring forwards in the world. And that's what I want to see. So it it was tough, you know. 
you have to understand that there's that strategic element to it, and you have to respect that if that's what the coach and the manager decides to do. And that's what Pia did to us, you know, five years ago in the Rio Olympics and ended up winning, beating us and getting silver when we went home. So I do understand that element, but the emotional side of me and the competitive nature in me, as well as a historical aspect of playing for the United States from the U.S. women's soccer team, it's all about winning. It's about scoring goals and it's about winning. So it was really, really tough to swallow the fact that the U.S. sat back, they didn't press, and they seemed to be happy, like you said, with the 0-0 draw. Yeah, you mentioned scoring goals. The U.S. had gone four years without being shut out going into this tournament, and now they've been shut out twice within a span of six days. So that's certainly something that they're going to have to correct uh, moving forward. Amy, I, I, we talked in the last episode about the decision that Vladko Andonovsky had to make with Abby Dahlkemper because she had a couple of pretty rough performances to start out the tournament. We were wondering whether Tiana Davidson would keep her place and assuming that Becky Sauerbrunn would would come back into the lineup. And, and that is indeed what happened. After the game, Vlatko said that rotating Dahlkemper was all part of the plan, which would seem to make some sense because Becky Sauerbrunn was rotated for the second game. So now all three of his center backs have two starts each. But are you thinking now, because Tierna Davidson put in another pretty decent display, that we could see Davidson and Sauerbrunn moving forward in this tournament? And do you think that would be the right call? I think we could see it, obviously. Andonovsky's comments about Davidson being rotated in came after the game. So coming into the game, it looked like a tactical decision. It didn't look like she'd been rested at first. I thought, oh, well, this is quite a brave call. And it paid off if it was to be a brave call. Obviously, it wasn't in the end, but I thought she had a really good game. I thought she you know, didn't really put a foot wrong. She, she made some great tackles, some great blocks. There was one block in particular. I can't remember which Australia player it was now, but in the box that she made, and it was a fantastic goal-saving challenge. So he has a massive headache there because, like you said, Dalkemp has not had a great tournament, as as great as she is. Davison has just really thrown herself into his mind there for the, the quarterfinals because this was a big state game, and she showed up and she played well. Yeah, I didn't really see Sam Kerr get a, a whole lot of opportunities, and, of course, that's not just Davidson alone, but certainly she, she had a part to play in that. Yeah, for sure. I thought she was absolutely fantastic. And I think, yeah, I mean, Sam Kerr is one of the most difficult strikers to mark in the world. And she did a really good job today. Yeah, and I hope I want to go back to something that you touched on previously, which is the U.S. press. This is one of, if not the most difficult presses to deal with in all of the world. This is how the U.S. creates a lot of their offense. It's it's through their defense. The forwards kind of act as that that first line of defense. And the way that this team collectively presses can cause such problems for opponents. And so that style of play runs into a unique challenge in the Olympics because of the nature of how close the games are together. So we haven't really seen that consistent press very much in the group stage and, and especially today against an Australia backline that has shown that they're vulnerable. Do you think it makes sense to not press knowing that maybe they'll continue to press a bit more in the, the knockout stage? Or do you think that it kind of sets a bad precedent now that they've been shut out two out of three games in the group stage? Well, I, I do think they're going to go back to pressing in the knockout round. 
I believe that the U.S. team has the ability to be fit enough to get through this entire tournament, even though there's only two days between each group play game. They have the numbers, they have the substitutes, and they are the fittest team in the world and always have been. So I truly believe that if pressing makes them a better team to score goals, then they should be pressing more often in the game. I think we're going to see more of it. What I liked in the past is when certain managers would decide when to press, whether it's the first 10 minutes of the game or the last 20 minutes of the first half. But we're not seeing that from Blacko. So I, I do have to question a little bit of his managerial style right now. But again, he's going into the knockout round. He was impressed with the way each individual player played against Australia today. That he, he said that they did exactly what he asked them to do and that they can take a game plan and actually implement it on the field. So if he's testing his players in that respect, um, he now knows that they're going to do exactly what he tells them to do. So for Vlatko, it looks like a win, and he knows that he can challenge them to do other things the rest of the tournament. But yes, I think they would be scoring a lot more goals if they were pressing. You know, you have Carly Lloyd, who's one of the best pressers in the business as a number nine. You obviously have the speed from Alex. If she, if she presses, she scares the hell out of goalkeepers when all of a sudden she pretends to be walking away and then she goes and the other players go with her. I mean, this is a very deadly attack when the U.S. team presses. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the approach that the U.S. takes moving forward. Before we look forward, though, let's look back at the group stage as a whole, and we will do that when we come back after this break on All of Us. All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. All right, welcome back to All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show Let's look back at the group stage as a whole because there were a lot of surprises in terms of how the U.S. played, and most of those surprises were not good. Hope, in our preview episode, you said this team shouldn't lose, and right off the bat, that's exactly what they did, and it it wasn't... uh, a narrow loss either. It was pretty comprehensive 3-0 defeat to Sweden. The U.S. did bounce back by defeating New Zealand 6-1. Today, they get the result that they needed against Australia, but by no means was it a performance that we're going to remember for a long time. And so in a group stage where we sort of expected the U.S. to come away with nine points, instead they have four, where we expected the U.S. to have a pretty winnable quarterfinal matchup. Instead, they have a rematch of the 2019 World Cup final against a team that we all tipped as one of the favorites to win the tournament alongside the U.S. So, you know, when we look back at this group stage as a whole, what stands out to you as things that that went well and maybe one or two things that that didn't go as well as we had expected? Yeah, well, I think in the first game, um, everybody can chalk it up possibly as jitters or nerves or a number of different things. But for me, it was a complete domination by Sweden, period. There were no excuses for that. It was complete domination. You have to take your hat off to Sweden. You have to show them the respect because they played a great match against the United States team. And I still believe that player for player, and this is what I said at the very beginning, player for player, I think the U.S. team is the best and they shouldn't lose. But they got beat by a better team. And you have to take your hat off to Sweden complete domination. But what was troubling for me is the lack of marking in the box. There are certain things that you can't suddenly change overnight. 
you build the U.S. team off of great defending. We always have. We don't let goals in. We're very organized. We're very strong in the defense. And that is what enables our offense to get forward. And now we have the skill set players who are so talented to move the ball through, through the midfield and get creative goals. But you always are locked down by your defense. And what I am struggling with is how are they going to change the shifting in the defense. There were holes, there were gaps, they weren't shifting together, they were not working as a back four. A lot of times the outside backs had to cover the central defenders. And I don't just put all the errors on Dahlkemper, Sauerbrunn and Dahlkemper both let players sit in between them. And so it put a lot of questions on who was going to actually defend the player in the box. So for me, that's an organizational thing. And that's something that Vlako and his team should have been working on for the last year and a half. These aren't things that are just mistakes. I'm wondering, moving forward, how they're going to pick up their runs in the box with a better offense like the Netherlands. That's what concerns me. Yeah, and, and, and you mentioned Flacco. You know, he's kind of been cruising along in his first year or two as head coach. And you mentioned in the, the preview episode that sometimes coaches get nervous too heading into their first major tournament. And all of a sudden, he has opened himself up to criticism that really wasn't on the table in any of his previous games in charge of the U.S. So in your opinion, how much criticism does he deserve? How much of it is on him? How much of it is on the players? Well, I would have to say welcome to a major tournament. That's when the criticism begins. And I would also say I hope he's not reading it because to be a true leader, it's all about, you know, creating that environment for your team in your hotel, not reading outside opinions, not listening to people like us. They know what they're doing. They're in camp. And he needs to make sure that he shows the players that. Because in the past, we have had managers listen too much to the media, make changes because of their insecurities about what others were saying about them. And I just hope that he shows the leader that everybody speaks about him being, and he continues to do the things that he sees fit for the team. Like I said, I'm just concerned that you can't fix those things overnight. The issues of shifting a defense and players standing in between the center backs and outside backs covering in behind central backs. It's, I, I'm very concerned about it, but you know, like I said, coming off this last game with Australia, he was happy with every single player. So he obviously is getting things done the way he wants them to get done. Yeah, one thing that stood out for me in the group stage is it seems like that killer mentality that the U.S. is known for has been kind of missing a little bit you know we talked in previous shows about how sometimes the opponents will just be so overawed by the U.S. that they're effectively defeated before the game even begins and right away against Sweden Sweden came out and just kind of punched the U.S. in the mouth and rather than bounce right back and respond the U.S. just looked a little bit shell-shocked they hadn't seen a team do that to them in a, a long time and Honestly, it doesn't seem like they've recovered almost three games later. Even against New Zealand, New Zealand kind of took it to them in the first half. They had some good scoring opportunities. And today, the U.S. played for a draw. That's just something that we don't see from them. Mentally, I don't know how that's going to affect them moving forward because this is a team that's so accustomed to going out and going for the jugular each and every game. I'm wondering... Hope, if you feel like this team has been lacking mentally and if that's something that isn't quite so fixable overnight. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a poor look. You saw players on the field that were frustrated. You saw arms up. You saw 
players almost begging for an answer. It just wasn't the American side that you're used to seeing. You didn't see anybody really try and take the game on their back and get pissed and then just run the line like a Tobin Heath, who usually you can upset Tobin, and she'll, she'll find a way to win the game on her own, or a Carly Lloyd, or an Alex. But you didn't really see people get upset to change the game. They got frustrated with their arms up and, you know, pointing fingers. And it just, I just thought it was a bad look. But with that being said, Alex came out with an interview and she said, this is when the tournament begins, is in the knockout round. And I kind of had a laugh because, you know, we want to see greater play in the group stage from the American side. But if anybody has the experience to turn it up a notch for the knockout round and know and really know how to deal with pressure in that setting, it would be the U.S. team. So I really hope that despite their errors and maybe the lack of details in the defense, I really hope that they can turn it up a notch and find that fight in them going into the quarters, and I believe they will. And I don't think the Netherlands have been playing incredible either. You know, they're letting in way too many goals. I didn't expect that from that side. So I think it's going to be a great match where two teams are actually kind of struggling and they need to put their imprint on the game. Yeah, I think moving forward too, the U.S. is going to have to hope for some better performances from some individuals too. You know, we talk about some of the collective issues with defensive organization and mentality, but I think on a player per player level, we've just seen a number of players just not reach the standard that we're used to seeing from them. Um, you think of Abby Dahlkemper, Sam Mewis has been kind of missing in action when she's been playing. Crystal Dunn, I think we're used to seeing do a lot more, um, although that could be a product of the systemic issues where she's been forced to play a lot more defense than she's used to in that left back spot. Even some of the forwards, I think, haven't been exactly to the the standard we're used to. Of course, it's an extremely high standard. Amy, are there any players that you're looking at right now and saying, this is somebody that really needs to step up if the U.S. Uh, are going to turn things around and make a run to gold? I think having watched Sam Mewis all season here in England and what she can do and how she can win games and, like Cope just said, carrying the game on her back. She will pick the ball up in midfield and just brush past five, six players, play a pass, get in the box, try to get on the end of the cross. And I don't know if she's tired because she's obviously had such a long season. She played the winter season in Europe. In January, she flew out, didn't she, to for the Columbia Games, came back injured and then went straight from the end of the season in Europe to go and play in the NWSL. I'm tired talking about that. Like, I don't know how she feels, but I feel exhausted just thinking about how tired she must be. So I don't know if that plays into it, but I think if she can find the form that she's been showing all season in England, then she's a match winner. She can win games, and she can win games in different ways as well. She can win games off set pieces. She can win games by making the late runs into the box. She can win games just by sort of popping up in the right place at the right time when she's playing that well. And just winning the midfield battles as well, not even scoring the goals. So I think she is one that can definitely help the US to gold with moments of magic if she can rediscover that form. Sam Mewis really kind of stamped her authority on this team, especially during the last World Cup. She started almost every game. Uh, She kind of took Lindsay Horan's spot and it will be... Very interesting to see if she starts over Haran again in the quarterfinals against Netherlands. And that is a game that we will break down a little bit more in Section 3. So we will take another break and we will be back to talk about that and the other quarterfinals on All of Us. All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. 
U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. Welcome back to all of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. Just a reminder to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you will not miss a show. We will be recording after every single U.S. game in this tournament. And from the U.S.'s perspective, hopefully there will be three more. But it's unsure if that's going to happen because of the quarterfinal that awaits with the Netherlands. Of course, a rematch of the 2019 World Cup final. That was a game where the U.S. was heavily favored and the Netherlands really gave them all they could handle for the first two-thirds of that game. It was sort of an interesting setup from the Netherlands. They moved Miedema out wide, if memory serves. They kind of frustrated the U.S. until they they got that penalty midway through the second half, and then Rapino scores that. A few minutes later, Lavelle scores, and, and that's kind of all she wrote for that game. Amy, you've seen the Netherlands play in this tournament. What can the U.S. expect from this Dutch side? What will be similar? What will be different from two years ago? As the stats will show you, you can expect lots of goals. 21 goals in three games, which is a bit of an absurd stat. Vivian Miedemar is yeah. <laughs> Vivian Miedemar is on fire. Uh, she just broke Christine Sinclair's record for most goals in an Olympic tournament three minutes after she came off the bench against China. I mean, they've got Lika Martins out wide. They've got Daniel van der Donk, who's playing really well, just signed for Leon. They've got Berenstein coming off the bench and... They got some really good players, but to offer some sort of hope to the US, they've conceded eight goals in three games. They've not looked as defensively solid as they have done in the past. Some strange goals as well, some sort of sloppy mistakes and poor communication. Uh, Sarah van Wienenhaal's not had as great a tournament as she did in at the World Cup. But I think the big the big sort of loss for the Netherlands so far this tournament, they're missing Sharida Spitz in midfield who suffered an injury just before the tournament started. And she soaks up a lot of the sort of defensive responsibility and they don't really have a replacement for her. So at the moment, the defensive responsibility is falling on Jill Road, who plays for Arsenal, just signed for Wolfsburg, and Jackie Grun, who plays for Manchester United, who are two attack-minded players. So not only are they doing what they're not best at, they're doing well, considering the circumstances, but it means that they're not attacking as they would like and we've looked at the US and we've seen how they're struggling with those midfield runners those two would be some dangerous midfield runners and they're not running in to the box as much as they should because they haven't got spits behind them so it's going to be interesting to see how Wiegmann sort of looks at the US and goes this is a weakness this midfield runner problem what can I do with what I've got with no spits but on the wings, they're going to they're gonna be amazing, especially because that's been a problem area for the U.S. in the tournament, I think, so far as well. Yeah, the Dutch really set up kind of defensively for the 2019 World Cup final, which almost paid off. But eventually, the U.S.'s attacking quality told. I'm curious, Hope, if you think, based on some of the defensive issues that the Dutch have had this tournament, if they might line up in a a similarly defensive posture in this game, or they look at some of the success that a team like Sweden had going after the U.S. and they say, all right, this is our chance to to kind of take the game to them. What do you think the Dutch mentality and setup is going to be in this game? Well, I I would think if I'm Serena Wingman that you you need the best of both worlds. And I think teams 
have proven that they can get behind the United States defense, they can score on the United States, and I think teams have to continue to press forward. They can't drop into a defensive shape because the way to beat the United States or even to tie the United States is to put them on their back foot. So I think a, a great manager will have a great attacking team, but they obviously have to be solid defensively as well. And that's, you know, just like Amy was saying, that's where they're struggling a little bit right now. And I have great respect for Van Wienendal, the goalkeeper for the Netherlands. Great respect. She had a fantastic tournament in 2019, and she just doesn't look the same. So I'm hoping we're going to see her, her confidence come back, especially for the quarters, because, you know, you're going to see big-name players show up for big-time games, and that's what I'm hoping that all of us will see in this quarterfinal match because we have big-name players, we have talent all over the field, and what we now need to see is everything being executed in a top-notch way, in a professional way, from both sides, because this, this can come down to one of the most entertaining quarterfinal matches probably in the history of women's soccer in the Olympics. It is a fantastic quarterfinal match. From the U.S.'s perspective, how much of a disappointment would it be to go out at the quarterfinal stage for a second straight Olympics. Of course, they fall to Sweden in Rio five years ago, coming off of three consecutive gold medals to go medalist in, in two straight tournaments. How much of a, of a setback would that be for this program? Uh, I don't think it's a setback, honestly, for the program. And I say that because I think we need to look at it as how much the sport is growing around the world for women's soccer. We are seeing teams like the Netherlands that we hadn't seen in the past who can now win this tournament. We are seeing teams like Spain and Italy who can compete against the United States. We are seeing some of the most spectacular growth in women's football over the course of the last 10 years. So I think we actually have to acknowledge that, that from the grassroots perspective and for giving other opportunities to other nations, there's parity in the game that we have never seen. So yes, it would be heart-wrenching and crushing for the American side, but for women's soccer as a global sport, I think it's absolutely fantastic that there are so many different nations that can win this tournament. Yeah, speaking of all of those nations that can win the tournament, you know, we went in to the Olympics thinking that the U.S. was kind of the clear favorite to win gold. After three games, seeing what we've seen, seeing what we've seen from the U.S. as well as from some of the other teams in this tournament, you know, in particular Sweden, Team GB has has looked very solid as well. Do we think that the United States is still the favorite to win this tournament? I believe they are the favorite to win this tournament. I know that Sweden put on the best performance of any team thus far, but as I've said, you know, if they play up to their ability, player for player, um, if one player steps up who can carry the game, there are a lot of stars on this American side. So many different players can step up, and I, I truly believe that they're still going to win gold. Amy, U.S. still the favorites? I think it's I think it's split. I think it's split between Sweden and whoever wins this quarterfinal between the U.S. and the Netherlands. I think Sweden. I mean, they had a perfect group stage. They're playing so well, and you know the U.S. has sort of looked under par. So I think you have to sort of put Sweden up there with them. But I think then it's between whoever wins out of the U.S. and the Netherlands, um, and then I think the rest is sort of dark horse, sort of challenger area. I want to talk about some of the specific lineup decisions that Vlaco is going to have for this game. There's three that kind of stand out to me as his biggest calls. The first is in the back line, whether he continues with Tierna Davidson or he goes back to Abby Dahlkemper. Does he go with Sam Mewis? 
Or does he start Lindsey Horan, assuming that, that Juliertz and Rose Lavelle are going to be in that lineup? And then moving further forward, if Morgan and Press get that starting spot, then the last starting spot goes to either Megan Rapino or Tobin Heath. So what does Vlaco do there? Hope, when you look at these lineup decisions, you know, what's the, the, the spot that you're looking at most as maybe kind of the, the difference-making decision that, that Vlaco has to make in this game? When you look at the player talent, um, you can pick so many different players for a starting lineup, right? But you have to really look at who plays best together. And I think time and time again, there's been a combination up front that has played better together than other combinations. Um, and for me, that would be Tobin, Carly Lloyd, and Kristen Press on the right. So that's the best attacking combination. They play really well together. And to bring Alex and Megan Rapino on as a sub is scary, scary for teams. So for me, um, that, that truly is the best combination. And then in the back, I, I think you stick with Davidson. I think she played great. She, um, there weren't as many gaps and spacing in the defense. I, I have no idea what Flacco's going to do there. That's a huge decision for him, especially since the defense has let up uh, quite a bit of mistakes and marking in the box issues. And in terms of the midfield, I'm 100% all in for Lavelle and Ertz and then uh, Haran because of her football IQ. So Sam, you know, she can run up and down the field. She can win those air balls, which is really important, especially in a physical battle, which the quarterfinal will be a physical battle. But for me, Lindsay Haran, she's not afraid of that, that physical play either, but her football IQ, her soccer IQ is probably one of the best that I've seen. So I would want her in the midfield. Yeah, we've we've talked about Tierna Davidson for a while as kind of the future of the U.S. center back position, but I don't think we expected that she would become the president at this particular tournament, and and now it, it seems like that it might happen. And and interestingly enough, we kind of tipped her as replacing Becky Sauerbrunn uh, because of Becky's age eventually, and and kind of forming that partnership with Abby Dahlkemper, and that may indeed still happen in the future but in this tournament it, it looks like Davidson and and Sauerbrunn might be the the pair that gets the U.S. where they need to go Amy um do you see Vlaco sticking with with Davidson or do you think he he goes back to the the Dahlkemper Sauerbrunn partnership I think on form you would pick Davidson it's just whether he picks on form or if he picks thinking about the occasion and he thinks who do I want with the experience? Who do I want that knows that... So I, mean, I know she's not had a great tournament, Dal Kemper, but that sort of reliability that she's been there, she's done it sort of thing. Um, especially because I think that might be the biggest of the three choices. I think that is probably going to be the one that affects the game the most because whoever he picks is going to be marking Vivian Miedemar. So it's the biggest decision and yeah i think there's two ways you can go with it it's yeah either form or it's experience so i wouldn't want to be uh i wouldn't want to be choosing yeah amy i also want to take a look at uh the three other quarters very quickly sweden japan team gb australia brazil canada all pretty intriguing games in their own right which of these three games are you most looking forward to great britain australia could be quite interesting because they've both sort of got the talent pool but we probably haven't seen them put on like on a consistent basis throughout the group uh that kind of performance australia have impressed more than people probably expected but whether they are capable of sort of winning that knockout round i think sweden japan is going to be really interesting because sweden are sort of getting that favorites tag now i'm interested to see how they cope with the pressure they're coming up against the horse japan haven't hit their full stride yet 
So you would put them as the big favourites for that game. And then looking at Canada, Brazil, they've met a lot. She believed Cup and things like that. So again, Canada are another team that haven't hit their stride. I think that's what's so interesting about the quarters is that you're looking at this and not really, apart from Sweden, nobody's hit their stride. Who is going to come into these quarterfinals? Who wants to show that they're going to win a medal? Who's going to give their A game and who's going to make everything click? And I think that all three of them, yeah, all three of them on paper look very interesting. Hope, which of these three games sticks out for you the most? Which of these games do you say, yes, I do want to wake up at 4 a.m. to watch this one? Well, I never want to wake up at 4 a.m., but I do anything for the Olympics because I'm all uh, stars and stripes these days. I, I'm a, I, Obviously, with the Netherlands and USA, we'll be waking up at 3 o'clock to get the babies ready and make sure that they got their bottles so that they stay asleep. We're going to be getting up early for that game. What I'm secondly excited about would be the Canada versus Brazil game. I'm not going to wake up early for that game, but I will not be looking at the score. I won't be not checking phones or my text messages, but I'm very excited for that game because I think it's going to be a brutal match. Canada versus Brazil, they both know how to play a really physical game. They have a lot of experience on the big stage. They've seen each other quite a bit, and then Brazil can put the ball down and play as well. So I think anything can happen in that quarterfinal match, and I'm excited to watch it, but I will have a couple cups of coffee for that one. Four very intriguing quarterfinals. Of course, the one we will be keeping the closest eye on, U.S.-Netherlands, and we will be back after that game to talk about what happened on the field. Thank you, as always, for listening to all of us, the U.S. Women's Shocker Show. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Hope. We will talk to you after the U.S.-Netherlands quarterfinal match. See you guys. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal.